Kia ora, welcome to Fighting for Your Mind. My name is Mary Jane. Today I'm talking with Mary O'Hagan. Amongst many things, Mary has advised the UN, she was the Mental Health Commissioner, and she is the author of the book, Madness Made Me. I was interested to talk with Mary about the Wellbeing Manifesto, which was her submission to New Zealand's Mental Health Inquiry, currently underway. Kia ora, Mary. Kia ora. So you have prepared a Wellbeing Manifesto, which is being submitted to the Mental Health Inquiry. It is quite detailed, so today I am hoping uh, to try maybe break down some of the important parts for listeners. But before we do that, in short, what's the aim of this manifesto? The aim of the manifesto, at its core, it is to encourage the Mental Health Inquiry to think about moving our system from a health-led system to a multi-sector community-led system. Now, at the moment, um, uh, if you go into a mental health service, uh, it's, it's you know it'll be it's funded through the DHB. Yeah. Now, what and even if it's a, an NGO, uh, you know, a community support service, it, it's it's usually funded through the DHB. Yeah. And what we're saying is that um, we need to have uh, we need to have them funded through. Um, we need to have multi-sector pooled funding at the local level. Yeah. Um, now, the reason I say that is that um, at the moment, when people go into a mental health service, the thing they'll, they'll very reliably get is psychiatric treatments. Now, they'll get them whether they want them or not, and um, but there are a whole lot of other things that people need. Um, for instance, uh, you people often need support to um, to achieve an education and to choose and get to keep jobs yeah, talk, okay yeah uh, they often need talking therapies uh, they need um, decent crisis support that isn't about being thrown into a hospital yeah um, they might need good physical health care stable housing ways to connect back into the community cultural and spiritual healing um, and uh, support for self-management, and the whānau might need support as well. So so at the moment, um, a lot of these other things people can't get. Yeah. And so the, the, the way we're suggesting to resolve that issue is to get all those sectors, you know, employment, education, um, you know, um, iwi and hapu and housing and um, physical health care, uh, corrections and so on to get them all to, in one room together and say all the people yeah all the all those agencies and yeah. all those funders and get them in the same room at a local level together with the people who are affected by these issues and and say look we've got to fund this whole suite of um, responses now how are we going to do it there isn't much what, what do you think has been stopping this the progress in mental health. I mean, it would be fair to say that maybe there has been a bit of a slight stag- stagnation. Yeah, there's been a, st- a stagnation. Um, and I think uh, in the last decade, we had a government that it had its eye on other things and the they ignored yeah. mental health. So there, there was the uh, GFC, you know, the global yeah. financial crisis. Uh, and then they decided to take um, mental health off the health priority list um, the the manifesto talks about big psychiatry. Everyone has heard of 
big pharma. Yeah. What do you mean by this, by big psychiatry? So, so by big psychiatry, we mean uh, that we have a system where psychiatry is at the hub of the system. Okay. So if you go into that system, you have to go through psychiatry in order to get into that system and to get around it. Yeah. So you have to either start off with a GP or then you might go to the emergency room. So you have to go through the medical system to get into it yes. and to get around it. And we think uh, that big psychiatry has been a problem in, uh, in helping people to access a broader range of services. Now, they look through the world through their own particular lens. Now, that can be useful for some people some of the time. But if you have that as the habitual lens Forever through for which uh, the service sees things, and if you have them taking most of the resources and c sort of controlling the discourse in a way, right. yeah. So, so basically, if you ha that's big psychiatry, yeah. And we're saying, look, there's a place for psychiatry, but it's not at the hub of the system. It's one of the spokes. But because when most people, I mean, would think about. Um, I don't really like saying mental health, but it's something health. This health issue, mental health, for the for people to understand what we're talking about, um, they would, you know, I think most people would just think, okay, well, it's psychiatrists and it's medication, and it's hospital. I think that's yeah, yeah exactly, and yeah. that, and that we most are a people, product. Yeah, our society is a product of big psychiatry, so that's yeah. what people think about. And when you talk to people who have had major mental distress, yeah. and I'm, I'm in that category myself, um, you, and you ask them, well, what really helped you? Well, some of them will say, yeah, yeah the medication helped. Others will say, well, it was, it was helpful, but it had a lot of side effects. And others will say it harmed me, or yes. it didn't make any difference. Um, and similarly about going into hospitals, uh, they're pretty... Grim. They're pretty grim places, and um, and can we do better for people in crisis? We certainly can. So so, what? And most of the resources go into these kind of interventions. Yes. And uh, and what we're saying is that um, so when you I was like using money, services, like, yeah, sorry. I, I needed I needed income. I, I needed I really needed support to keep going at university. There was nothing there. Yeah. There's a bit more these days, but we could be doing better. Did you end up getting your degree? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. No, no. So uh, that's yeah. a testament to how little support there was. But you've ma you've gone on to manage because you were the mental health commissioner. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. yeah. Well, it doesn't seem to matter that I didn't get a degree, but you know, yeah. um, I should have been able to be supported to get a degree. Yeah. Um, a lot of people need housing. They need they need assistance to get jobs. They need a decent income. Yeah. Talking therapies. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. And uh, you know, there's all kinds of talking therapies yeah. out there. Yeah, yeah, and and they're really effective. There's you know there's a good evidence base for talking therapies. We're we're really also pushing for a much broader kind of workforce. So at the moment, when people think about mental health services, they think of Oh, doctors and nurses and OTs yeah. and maybe a few support workers. We're saying that actually we think about a third of the workforce should be peer support workers well, and the, another third think, should um, be cultural workers. Do you think if like people are more respected when they have the, the university degree? I mean, because it is for people that maybe want to work in mental health, 
um, the doors may not be open because you know some people may not be able to be supported like you say and study yeah 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 so so I think uh, one of the things you know that people who experience major mental distress that gets you into the mental health system um, it often happens when you're young yeah and that's when you're trying to get an education and establish yourself in life and really we should have a system that goes does whatever it takes to keep people on track yeah. for having a life that's full of opportunity. And that's through education and work. Yeah. You know, and we don't. I mean, I was told, I mean, this is quite some time ago now, but yeah. I, w- I was told uh, I wouldn't have a career like I was going yes. to have. Well, that was a lot of bullshit. I mean, do you allowed to swear on Access Radio? I think so. <laughs> okay, right. Well, it was, it was, it was rubbish. So, yes. so um, I think uh, we need a system where we're, it's really, really plugged into yeah. um, assisting people to get those life and health outcomes that they want. Well, just to maybe just even have a fulfilling life. That yeah. It would do to do to have to be able to do what you. Well, what and you... for most people, a fulfilling life is is making a contribution of some sort. Yeah. It might be being a good parent. Yes. It might be being a good artist. It might be being going to work every day. Well, I think that yeah. there's definitely people with who have had severe problems, distress. You know, it does give some, perhaps it is an interesting perspective on life to hear what, you know, to see how they you know, what their mind yeah. thinks and... Yeah, well, and I think one of the problems with the whole big psychiatry system, and this is true of a lot of professionally driven systems, is that they think they have the answers. Yes. And um, and so and especially when you're when you're underpinned by the Mental Health Act, that just reinforces the idea that we're here to save people from themselves because you know they've lost insight. And they can't help themselves. They're a danger to themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so uh, we need, we really need a system where um, we respect the point of view of people who experience mental distress, and that's been happening a bit, but it's certainly not happening much at the coalface. The the manifesto mentions coercion. How does that apply in a mental health setting? We just sort of. To been touching on that a bit. Yeah, so um, the manifesto says that, um, you know, mental health legislation needs to comply with the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Um, and uh, and that most of the analysis that's come out of that convention is saying that um, mental health acts around the world are in breach of this convention. Um and yeah. and so we and I don't know if governments have necessarily quite twigged to this yet, um, but but I think there has to be some very serious questions asked about the use of um, about mental health acts for people who experience mental distress. But what is coercion in in, in, like in a mental health setting? It is Well, there's legal coercion and then there's other sorts of coercion. Yeah. And uh, what happens a lot in the mental health services is that because the Mental Health Act is there, you can coerce people by threatening the act, yeah. not, not even by using it. Mm. Uh, and that's a very right. dubious power to have. Yeah, it is. Now, the reason... Um, 
The reason I think that the Mental Health Act, is um, its days are limited, is that I think it's as discriminatory as the old sodomy laws or the laws that said that women couldn't vote. Yes. Um, and the reason I say that is that um, uh, if you think about... Uh, so there's two cr main criteria in our current act. There's danger to self and danger to others. Yeah. Okay, so if... if um, if I'm, uh, you know, if I'm in the health system and, for instance, I, I refuse treatment and I'm going to die because I refuse treatment, if I'm a competent person, no one can say to me, well, you know, you can't do that. We're going to force treatment on you. Yeah. But you can do that in the mental health system. Mm. Now, that is a discrimination. When it comes to danger to others, um, a psychiatrist can decide to take away your freedom based on a vague prediction that you might harm others. Yeah. And that just wouldn't pass the test in the criminal justice system. No. And so I think um, I think it's blatantly discriminatory, this act, and uh, we need to totally rethink it. I mean, are there people wanting to change it? I mean, is there a resistance to change it? Yes, of course there's a resistance to changing it. From who? Oh, I think uh, it's a security blanket for um, a lot, particularly a lot of families um, and I think even people themselves who've been subjected to the Act, some of them say, well, you know, I don't know if I'd be alive today because of the Act. Yeah, but and I think they're just afraid maybe. Of, they might be, they yeah. might be afraid, yeah. Um, sort of, well, afraid to imagine a world without... Yeah, you, you yeah. Know, you don't want to, it's, like it's like utopia, you don't ever want to think of utopia... But, um, yeah, because it may never come. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think um, now, and, and of course, people think that uh, if we didn't have a mental health act, we wouldn't have a way of caring for people when they're at the most vulnerable. Well, I think that's not true. I think we have to find other ways of um, looking out for people uh, when they're in a very bad way. Yeah. Now, the other thing about the mental health act is, I've, I've. Um, been down to the hospital several times in the last year yeah. to see people who are under the Act. They There is no way that they even meet the criteria for the yeah, Act, yeah. but they're still put under it, and nobody challenges it. No, I mean, I, I just wonder if people are getting proper legal representation as well. Um, well, do you know what happened when I went down to see a woman at the end of last year? Her lawyer came in. She wanted to challenge... She was going to the court. So the, the, the district judge comes to the ward after you've been admitted. Yes. And you can go to the judge and say, I, I, I don't think I should be under the Act. The lawyer came in five minutes beforehand, gave her a great big dense sort of two or three pages of what the clinician had written about mm -hmm. her. Five minutes and before. Said, and said, um, oh, look, I'll just sit in the back and you can just talk for yourself. Yeah. She's getting paid. You know, two or three hundred dollars an hour. Well, I know these. I think lawyers who don't get people out of seclusion. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think there's a what they what they call it is a medico legal collusion, yeah. and I think there's an awful lot of that going on between between the doctors and the lawyers. So there's a collusion. Yeah, yeah, and the judges. And I think the yeah. lawyers think, oh, um, the lawyers think well. Uh, I don't have any expertise in this area, so I'll just I'll just go along with what the doctor says. 
and in fact um, they should be there representing. Yes, well I mean I would like to think that if I had been put in seclusion my lawyer would be fighting for me to not be, because I don't, I don't yeah. know anybody who actually wants would want to be in that. Um, no, no. I, I don't know, I mean surely not. Well, I mean, uh, does anyone want to be locked up in a room with hardly anything in it yeah. uh, and not be able to get out when they asked? Yeah. No, no, nobody wants that. Yeah. And I think most people would understand that that's a pretty barbaric thing to do to people. But, I mean, I don't hear, like, in the media, I mean, it's fairly, I, well, I think in portrayals it comes from, oh, everything's so overloaded and all that, but no, I don't hear the other side of, like, I don't know. I don't think the Mental Health Act's been updated since the mid-90s. I mean, is, 92. Is, is anybody trying to do it? Is anyone lobbying the government well, to well, do it? Well, the trouble is with updating. You see, one of, the, one of the problems with what's happened with Mental Health Acts over the last sort of 30 or 40 years is that they've built in these legal protections. So... Uh, in the old, in the old, you know, before then, you know, you just put under the act and you so couldn't even appeal doctor, it. So it's you for the doctor, you mean? You couldn't appeal it. Yeah. So you just had to put up with it. Now there are appeal processes in most mental health acts in Western countries. That, but actually, it um, most people are unsuccessful in these appeals. So. Um, uh, and in fact, it's done nothing to reduce the amount of um, compulsory treatment, these no. appeal processes, overall. In the manifesto, it mentions how psychiatry is an alien system to Māori. Yep. Evidence is suggesting more and more these days that there are considerable traumas involved with what is described as severe mental illness, like what what might cause them, perhaps. Mm. It may not be helpful for some people to think of it as severe, um, but helpful for others. Um, How did it it become an acceptable, almost applaudable uh, practice to do this to people with with what is, for all intents and purposes, enforced medication, locked doors, and for some seclusion? Yeah. And, and, how did uh, it become okay? Like, people don't well, better well, know. Well, you know, how did that become okay? Yeah. Well, that's a very good question. Um, now, look, uh, people uh, in the mental health system do this because they think it's the best. They they think they they do it out of benevolence. They don't usually do it out of... Um, of course, yeah. Out of... Uh, we want, we want to hurt this person. But it just seems people aren't looking at what they're actually doing. It, we, no, yeah. no. And I think there's a cloak of denial about the impact that these practices are having on people. And when, getting back to the issue with Māori is that there is intergenerational trauma among the Māori community yeah. um, about, the loss of, uh, about the loss of their culture, their land, their language and so on. Yeah. Um, and I think Pākehā people have difficulty understanding that sometimes. Mm. But but if um, but I I say to people, well, they need more imagine Maori stories out there so people well, can well, understand. Don't well, they? one way of trying to understand it is to say, what if some aliens came down to our world, yeah. and uh, we greeted them in good faith, and and then they came, more and more of them came, and they said. We're going to take your houses off you. I know you own those houses, but we're taking them off you. Um, 
and we're going to um, we're going to we're going to outlaw your universities and schools. You're you're not allowed to speak the English language. Yeah. Um, and to speak Maori. Uh, well, speak whatever alien okay. language it would yeah. oh, be. Oh right, yes, yes. Okay, uh, yeah. And and uh, we we're really going to strip you of all the things that you treasure. So you're not allowed to buy any books from the bookshop, and we're, you're not allowed to watch any television or movies. Yes. Now, that is probably roughly the equivalent to what happened uh, to colonise people yeah. around the world. And um, and we and I, you know, we really need to understand that this just has a huge intergenerational impact on people. The, the manifesto mentions big communities, so is there a way yeah. this could help Māori and, and, and people who have this intergenerational trauma? I mean, um, is it, you talk about big community. Is that going to help address some of these traumas? So, well, it it what big community does, and big community is a system that is, it has... At its hub, not just psychiatry, but all these um, all these multiple sectors and communities that I was talking about, and what big community does is it makes it possible yep. to start addressing this issue, mm. because if we just have psychiatry at the hub, well they don't, I mean most most of them don't sort of um, well, it is an alien. take an interest in. Um, I mean, they should. I but mean, it's becoming less of an alien system to people with the, the latest the, the epidemic at the moment, but it is for anybody just to be in your room one day or maybe cooking dinner and then one minute you need yeah. you know, we're having a normal life. Yeah. I mean, then, I mean, it's, it's an alienating system for anyone, I think, yeah. uh, that system. Um, but so, so, uh, so in order to address trauma... Um, you know, one of the most obvious ways is talking therapies. Yeah. Well, you know, we have a whole lot of people in our system who have experienced particularly early life trauma who just don't get any access to that. Well, I don't know if people even ask, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, well, they don't yeah. even ask. No. Yeah. And, you know, you get the stories of people saying who've been diagnosed with some form of psychosis and then the doctor says... Um, and they say, well, uh, they talk to the doctor about, psychiatrists their, only they, about their abuse. Yeah. And the psychiatrist says, well, well, the abuse didn't really have a causal role in your psychosis. Um, it's really, you know, you've got a, a, a brain imbalance in your brain chemistry or something. Yeah. And people... But they don't scan. Can they prove that with a scan? Do they, how do they know? Oh, no, no, I don't. I think it's incredibly controversial. Um, hmm. And, and of course, you, trauma yeah. creates... Uh, I mean, trauma creates changes in your brain. Well, it's also changes yeah. in your just to change yeah. in your thought process and how you yeah. how you react to things. So, so really, I mean, uh, you know, you might have a slightly different looking brain if you're if you're a trauma, if you've experienced trauma, but the but but the brain changes were created by environmental influences, yes. not by some sort of self triggering sort of genetic thing. Yeah, yeah, but it, it just I mean, I think. When I was young, I think I when I th- had thought of hearing about you know the psych people mention I think they used to call them shrinks on TV or something. Um, you, I always thought of a psychiatrist actually someone you went to talk to, not not as someone who just um, you know and they don't because I don't I don't think they do that in the hospitals. At no, least. no, yeah. and and the, the trouble is, just I mean, medicate. if I was trying to be a psychiatrist and I ended up in working in the DHB, I think I wouldn't have much job satisfaction. No, because um, 
There is a, so there's kind of two threads to psychiatry. There's the kind of, the, there's always been the sort of people who are interested in the, you know, chasing the biological holy grail and trying to find that. And there are the people who are much more psychologically uh, oriented. Yeah. And um, unfortunately in today's system, they have 15 yeah. minute appointments with people. Yeah. So it's going to be uh, diagnosis, uh, let's formulate a bit of plan. Let's let's prescribe you and let's get you out of the door. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. Well, that's perhaps why there is such a big focus on compliance. Um. You know, if people don't comply, because I mean, guess you know, time is of the essence. Comply and out you go. Well, but... I think I think one of the problems, uh, you know, one one of the problems of the psychiatry centred system, is that um you. They've got so few tools to work with. Mm. They've got the Mental Health Act, they've got sort of locked wards, and they've got medication. Yeah. And um, so you can see with that... Well, so it, makes us, it makes humans sort of, I don't know, it's like, it's like we're not human if that's all we ever need to sort of be, to be well. You know, you know, we're just sort of uh, some sort of cereal in a packet. You just add a bit of milk and you're good to go. You know, it's just yeah, it's a bit yeah. more complex than that. yeah. Well, it's pretty. It, so that's why it's so awful. And I'm, I'm not saying that some people aren't helped by medication. We're, we're not sort of anti. Yes, of course. Uh, me, you know, people being on uh, medication if they feel that is helpful to them and it's but a voluntary. But if it's a, particularly, a, you talked about Maori. I mean, yeah. it's. I don't know. I mean, how um, some Maori may feel about. Taking, you know, the, the medication. Yeah. Well, um, I think uh, it might be something that for a lot of Māori is even harder yeah. to sort of... Fathom. F- to, to sort of be expected to comply with because um, they might have... Uh, if, it, you it know, is, if they're influenced a... by traditional belief systems... They might have a completely different view about what's going on for them. Because for people in a situation like say not necessarily someone Māori but like anyone you know it's hard to fathom you know if you end up in that situation you know it's like how did this happen you know and you suddenly it's it's it is alien like you said it's perfect mm. perfect way of describing it um do you think there's a way um say there are we're just keeping on about the trauma because it's all about uh, the trauma I think um there are surely a lot of uh, traumatized people in the system, mm. who I think have probably yep. been scared into submission, um, you know, say if, they, if they're saying not to change the Mental Health Act, um, is there a way to help these people with your proposed system whereby they may trust you and may feel... I mean, is there a way, like... Yeah, because there may be even, like, resistance to a new idea from people who uh, have, for all intents and purposes, been victims of yeah, this system. Yeah, and I think that happens. I think that yeah. can happen sometimes. It's like a Stockholm that... Syndrome or something. Yeah, 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 that's right, yeah. And uh, and you have to understand where people are coming from and yeah. uh, not get too... Well, that's the thing, I think, because yeah. there's a lot out there about about the bad medications and everything, and it's sort of like, well, yes, but there's people who actually have no... Uh, probably under the Mental Health Act and have no yeah, choice. And, yeah, uh, and, you know, for some people... And that's distressing. Uh, ...taking medication 
is what they've decided is good for them. Yeah. And it's not for me or anyone else to say, no. as long as they've had good advice and informed consent, it's not for anyone else to say you shouldn't be doing it. In the manifesto there is a bit about uh, dimensions of well-being developed by Mason Drury. Um, the two or three that stick out for me are Modi Order, that is, uh, for some who may not know, cultural identity, Simane Fakahaire, that is autonomy and self-government, and Taha Tinana, that is physical well-being. Yeah. How can these principles? They sort of stuck out to me. How can these principles be more? Could they be more exercised in the current system? Would it be possible not changing the Mental Health Act? Uh, well, I, well, I think you know that they, um, you know, the 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 Maori or the, the the cultural identity. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's particularly important to people who've, uh, you know, lost their culture or had it stolen from yes. them. Yes. So, so I mean, um, but but I think it's also important for anyone. But this well, that's yeah, why yeah. I asked it. I thought I mean clearly yeah. for Maori, but actually yeah. for. Anyone. Yeah. So it's very important, and, and you don't understand yeah. the importance of these things till you lose them. Yeah. And if you belong to the dominant culture, you don't even, you don't really understand how important it is. Uh, and um, and autonomy and self-government, and I think that has a special meaning for Māori again, because yeah. um, what we're calling for in this manifesto is for Māori to de- de- design and deliver their own services. Yeah. Um, I think there's, you know, there's, uh, they uh, know best how to uh, respond to their own people. Yeah. And and I don't think that the mainstream uh, community has has actually given up enough control over what happens. Yeah, but it seems like the current system. I mean, for anyone going, I mean, if you ever want to be passionate about self government, you literally just need to go to jail or to a, to a hospital. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, you know, like it's... And, you know, they're, they're terrible. I mean... Yeah. And, uh, you know... You lose... What would... Yeah. So there's, like, 50% of prisoners are Maori. Yeah. So what are we doing? I mean... Yeah. And it's the same with hospitals. They're, they're, they're all sort of, you know, psychiatric wars. They're all kind of warehouses where, where we just put problem people and yeah. ignore them. yeah. And um, uh, and you know um, Moana Jackson, who's a Maori lawyer, yes, uh, sort of asked the question. Um, well, you know, we didn't have prisons before Europeans came, no. so how do we deal with justice in that environment? And and I think that there's a, a huge amount of room for. Well, it's the same with mental, mental health. I mean, it's been around since forever. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you, so do those, but like in terms of with self-government and also Modi order, you know, cultural identity, um, it feels because I think there's almost like a religious test, I think, once you get in there. I mean, I think it's they, they're trying to establish, you know, what you believe about things and, you know, um, it's incredibly important for some people to be able to 
understand and express, say, their cultural identity, their, their, their belief system, yeah, um, well, you see, their this, autonomy. I mean, it's, yeah. it's all part of it. I mean, you know, and, it's and again, part of their self-government. <laughs> yeah, and again, you know, what happens when you go under the Mental Health Act? You, yeah. lose you lose autonomy and self-government. Mm. Yeah, exactly. But in all, some, some senses, you also lose your cultural identity yes. because... because um, you maybe um, get medicated or something, yep. or, or not even that. You just get really upset and you lose yourself. Yep. Actually, you yep. change. Yeah, uh, and and I think, um, and in fact, you lose. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a huge loss of identity on many levels. Yeah, when you go into that system, and one of the things I remember going into that, you know, into the hospital for the first time was. God, was, on one side of those doors, on one side of those doors, I was just a relatively promising young citizen, and on the other side, I was a psychiatric patient. Yeah, and so there's an enormous loss of cultural identity or status when you yeah. when you go into that system. It's even loss of status within your mind of you being like a person who can manage yourself and manage yeah. life. Yeah. You become someone who can't do that. Someone yeah. else is going to do that for yeah. you. Yeah, that's that's pretty brutal. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, with the current mental health act, would it be possible to ha- have you know Modi order and to manufacture oh, no. they can put as many nice words in mental health acts, acts as they like. The evidence would suggest that if you have uh, the power, the state power to coerce people to take treatment, any of those other things will not make much difference. No. Back to this idea of big community, because there's lots of good ideas in this manifesto. Um, just something I've been, if you're on, if you're listening on the radio, or sometimes if you're reading the paper, you hear about the importance of food and nutrition. I actually interviewed somebody yeah. about um, possible avenues for healing. Not this interview wasn't specifically about food, but about nutritional supplements. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Is 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 this is your yes? I mean, food and nutrition. Um, I mean, it's not something I've looked into uh, yeah. in big detail. And there are some people who have looked into it, and there is some evidence that um, what you eat can have an impact on your well-being. Yeah. Um, and so, and and particularly, uh, you know, uh, of course, I think. Uh, Alcohol and drugs can have a profound impact on your yeah. on your well being. You know, recreational. So, so. But, also, but I mean, if you're eating a lot of food that doesn't have nutrients, then I mean, your brain isn't being nourished. Yeah. So you know. Yeah. So and uh, part of so the whole nutrition thing might fit under self management or physical yeah. health. Oh, okay. In, in yeah. the manifesto. Yeah. I mean. Um, there, those uh, twelve core responses are kind of big headlines, yeah. and you can fit quite a lot underneath them. Yeah. Because it might be um, people may need to know, if there's some, you know, some of, the, some of the good things to eat or... Yeah. To tr- yeah, and I, and I think um, the trouble is uh, if you are on a very low income, it's hard to afford the food that's really good for you. Yes. You so know, that's the... Yeah, that's the... Well, it's one of the problems. Mm. Yeah. So is, are you looking at a way to maybe a strategy? So that was maybe getting people to better better education and better career path. 
Yeah, ways. so so what, one way to good nutrition yeah. is is to get out of poverty. Yeah, you know, uh, I mean it's not the only pathway, but but uh, that that gives you that gives you an opportunity to think. Oh, well, I want some. You know, I don't want to eat um, McDonald's every night. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the manifesto, there are stats that says Māori are four times more likely to be secluded. Yeah. Well, this this seems to be a double blow for Māori, or triple yeah, yeah. blow. Um, yeah. Is there inequality in the treatment of ethnicities in the mental health system? Yeah, so so I think, uh, you know, they, they give all sorts of reasons why this happens. So they say, well, Māori come in later in, in the episode, so they're worse when they when they arrive in the in the system. It sounds even a bit um, racist, actually. Well, well, it uh, and you know, so but I think there's um, signs of institutional racism mm. uh, going on with those kinds of. Well, it just feels figures. like it's a bit like putting a label on someone, like you're, you know. Yeah, yeah. You just you come in like, like and and yeah. you know you know people uh, come into these systems and they're scared and they're vulnerable, and one way that people respond to that is by lashing out. Yeah. Uh, and God, it's pretty understandable why why you would. And um, that's that's and like a no, sign of good health when when there's we're no thinking. analysis. Um, you know when the PSA delegates come out and say you know the yeah. nurses come out and say well, you know. It's it's really risky in here because you know people come and they get they get aggressive, and you sort of think, don't you ever sit down, and think why, <laughs> and and they don't they just they don't ever think well we've got such a crappy system here, you're you know what what we we're, we're warehousing people, in these uh, horrible places. Mm. Um, where but, no one ever talks to them much. Yeah, but I mean, do they reflect and think maybe if I was in this situation or if I was made to take something that was for all intents and yeah. purposes I'm reacting to? Um, and well, then, you'd think you'd hope so, but I don't see much sign of it. No, yeah. because um, yeah, I mean, do you think doctors want these legal um, avenues to do this? I mean, how is it enjoyable to, to do that job? I mean... Well, I don't know. I don't know why anyone would want to be a psychiatrist in a public mental health system. Yeah. You know, and, you know, especially at the acute end. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why they'd want to... I think it's an awful job, but maybe some of them quite like it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, but do you hear any psychiatrists talking... I mean, you work peer zone, you've just started a new job, you've been the mental health commissioner. Yeah. I mean, you've you're in and around the, the, the areas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you hear doctors saying, well, you know, the mental health acts maybe it's a little bit... Well, I think they see, I mean, there's a broad spectrum of psychiatrists. Yeah. And, um, you know, there are some really good people out there who are yeah. psychiatrists who yeah. are just doing their best in quite difficult circumstances. Yeah. And there are ones I just wouldn't give the time of day for. So you know, yeah, but, do they, yeah. but in the quieter moments, do you think they feel would feel maybe as we could just change the mental health act so people would just had a bit few more rights? And uh, well, I think what they get caught up with is risk management. And, yeah. And so, um, and I've talked to psychiatrists about this. They say, you know, I I was um, supporting a man one night 
who clearly just didn't meet the criteria for the act. Yeah. But he says, well, if I send him home and something happens, you yeah. know, my reputation will be on the line. Yeah. And uh, and that's one of the problems that they, that's the trap they're caught in, is that Everyone's if something goes wrong, mm. I mean, they're the ones that get, they're the ones that get the blame. And I think we really need to change that whole but dynamic. But it's the same for people who have, you know, are having an issue. They might be afraid to change, make changes, and you know, for that very reason, something really, really, really bad happening. There's like this real catastrophic thinking around mental health. Like I think where everything is so dire, you know. Well, you know, I read a really interesting, um, really interesting. Uh, analysis once of the mental health system in the US, which is a bit different to New Zealand, but the same dynamic applies. So what you have, some of the major signs of a traumatised person are they're hypervigilant or they're numb. So they're they're two descriptors of someone who's experiencing trauma. And, um, but that's what the system's like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these... The, you people, know the yeah. psychiatrists and the nurses they're all hyper they're all either they show hypervigilance and a lot of emotional numbing as well yeah you know so the whole thing is just going the, on different levels everyone needs needs a chat it mentions in the manifesto there was some going at the end of that I saw some stats um that the suicide rate among people who had been in contact with mental health yep. services. It's kind of covering everything we've talked about, but I think it's important for people to know. Um, the suicide rate among people who had been in contact with mental health services in the year prior to death was um, 136.2 per 100,000. And for people who hadn't had the contact mm. with the services, that is the rest of the population, it was 6.3 yeah, yeah. per 100,000. Yeah. That was four years ago. Yeah. I think the rate's increasing. I mean, to me, I mean, do you think the mental health industry has a bit of soul-searching to do? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are several ways you can interpret that, uh, those statistics. Okay. And, I mean, I would expect that someone who has gone to a service because they have mental distress would be would be at a greater risk of um, suicide yeah. than the average it's probably population. Probably the health industry really is. But yeah. but I there's some evidence oh, that's that true. that um, that contact with mental health services mm-hmm. uh, could um, increase your suicidality or or your urge to die. Uh, that, for instance, but there's there some people... evidence that um, some of the drugs can yeah. give you a there's condition called acesthesia, which... There's a test, test, there's testimonies to that. I mean, you don't have to yeah, yeah. go too far down the street yeah, to find yeah, that out. Yeah. So, so, in fact, I think in their um, very narrow, uh, quite coercive attempts to... Um, to relieve people of their so-called symptoms, uh, sometimes they're they're doing harm. Yeah, I mean, would the health minister at the time have been aware of those 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 stats? Uh, I have no idea. Because yeah. um, I was, you know, see, I mean, nobody wants to be obsolete. Um, 
I think with maybe this health issue, um, it, like I guess people think to understand some issues that maybe you need to be really intelligent or you may have needed to have studied for 10 years, you, you maybe even need to be a doctor, um, maybe have a subscription to the Harvard Medical Review or, you know. Um, do you think that change hasn't happened because the mental health industry... Um, the industry, the health industry, because um, I think there's a health board or something, they're not just mental health board, so health industry, um, say from the, the top of the DHB, uh, say the CEO to people on the board to other people working in the industries, uh, doctors and nurses. Um, you touched on this briefly when you talked about people being afraid to lose their job um, if they didn't um, put people under the act and maybe um, something they avoided a disaster. Um, do you think on the, the, in the other sense that uh, maybe people are afraid to lose their standing and their, their influence? Uh, if they do what or don't do what? Um, if they have... If they have their power taken away from them oh yes yes I think so I think I you know really, like I didn't um, really want to put it like that but. yeah yeah <laughs> so well it's really interesting uh, when you look at these systems there's an awful lot of power being wielded yeah, around the like place change in general though, not just the but just within that, these systems yeah. but actually nobody but, feels very powerful like having more yeah. peer support workers or more yeah. whānau involved, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. more community. Like, yeah. you know, is it because they may sort of feel, well, you know... I've, yeah, well, they, I, th I think there's a fear among some of them that if all these other people start getting involved, that we that will be our services will be redundant. Yeah. Which, yeah. which I think is really um, pretty short-sighted because but I shouldn't think... shouldn't you be willing to take one for the team and actually say, well, you know what, maybe um, we're not helping people, so maybe I'll take a step back, you know, yeah. and just... Uh, and, uh, you know, just not see yourself with a sort of grandiosity about having to be at the hub of the system. Yeah. And maybe shifting over to the side a bit. Well, it just it feels really like... You know, I mean, I don't know if it's... It wouldn't be the, obviously the case for everyone, but I think there is a mystique that surrounds certain professions like in life, say, like maybe a doctor or a lawyer. And there are great reasons to um, have a mystique if you're really good, but um, it's but there's but there can be a mystique around a peer support worker who has had a really, you know, profound recovery or a social worker who, you know, there can be a mystique around... Well, I think one of the problems in the health system... Mm. Um, like, you know, if you look at social services, there's a profession called social work. Yeah. And they're all kind of, you know, roughly equal. And, you know, yeah. there's a few other people around. But in um, health, you have the doctors who are like the generals. Yeah. And then everyone's out, everyone else is a foot soldier. Yeah. And so we have, and that's reflected in their pay and their status. Yeah. And the way they control the resources and the discourse. Yeah. And so we've got a system where... Um, They've got, you know, they, you know, they've got their uses, doctors. I mean, yeah. I don't want to say, you know, let's get rid of them or anything, but, no. but 
I think they're too no, powerful. No, but I'm too, talking about it in terms of like because we're just coming near, near the end now. But we're we're talking about um, things that are supposedly wrong in the system. Wrong. I mean, there's something wrong in all the systems around the world. I mean, mm. you don't even have to think too hard about why that might be. But um, yeah, I, I guess it's just um, when you know, in thinking about why change isn't happening. Is it? Is it because? Oh, I think there's it, a know, lot of vested interests. Yes. So yeah. I think uh, that was what kind people, of where, where, people like, don't like change. No. Um, and you. And nobody, and that's why we need a political solution. Yeah. Because they're not going to self-organise and no, change. No. Yeah. So um, yes, because it would be nice if everything didn't have to be political. Um, what do you see? You know, and you from your manifesto. What do you see as a roadblock to this? What What will get in the way of um, community-driven um, care and things? Big community. Oh, vested interests. Uh, loss of courage. Lack of imagination, yeah. Um, uh, risk management. I think there's an awful yes. lot of risk management so goes on. So, in relation to mental health, what do you mean by that? Well, well, there's there's the sort of risk management I was telling you about with the, you know, when a psychiatrist is faced with a person who they yeah. think is at risk. But there's an awful lot of uh, risk management going on at the system level as well. Yeah. And uh, you know, in uh, the public service and in in governments and in services, you know, yeah. and uh, and sometimes this is driven by the culture of the government. Yeah. Um, so we have to have a culture where, God, it's you know, it's okay to make mistakes. I mean, you know, uh, you think about child protection yeah. and you know. The SIFs or uh, Oranga Tamariki as it is now, they're out there sort of, um, you know, oh, the, they're doing stuff. And and it's this, you know, they're, so 990 times out of 1,000, it, it works out okay in co- according to some sort of le- risk analysis. Yeah. But there's just a few times um, oh, right. that it doesn't, yeah. Yeah. and they get, you know, these systems get hammered. Yeah, then you go to the, the 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 system systemic failure. Yeah, and and uh, and I think we need to be much more uh, forgiving. I mean, it's quite hard if your loved one or yourself have been harmed by these systems. I mean, uh, but but um, we need to be much more forgiving of them, and also. Um, Enable them to take risks. I mean, I see. I think recently an MP made a comment about a new housing system that would attract people with mental illness in Auckland. I mean, they didn't see it as having negative connotations. Um, oh, this is David Seymour. Well, and he obviously felt his language was going to appeal to his voters. Yeah, obviously, yeah. this is how people maybe yeah, think yeah. and talk. In light of these attitudes, I mean, do you see hope for this inquiry? I mean, if people, you know, in government, as you know, can actually will use that well, language you know, to appeal to voters. I wouldn't take too much notice of him, but um, uh, so so yeah. I mean, that's always a risk um, with this. But but through my lifetime, yeah, I think attitudes have improved. Yeah, quite. I mean, in quite a big way. And in fact, the biggest barrier mm. to 
fundamental change in our system or big yeah. change in our system hasn't been the people on the street who don't know any better. Yeah. It's been it's been the professional groups. Yeah. They've been the you know Yeah, but it was just it seemed like obviously yeah, but if people were gonna vote for people who's Well, you know, the yeah. the good thing about that though is a lot of people got up and said that's yeah. no good. Yeah. So he got some feedback about that. So now he knows, yeah. So he might have uh, he might think twice about going yeah. down that track in the future. Um what what would you say to a system, let's just say a system, that defends its actions and says, you know, you know, like, I mean, surely everybody thinks there needs to be change. I mean, everybody, from the conservative end to the alternative yeah, to the I radical. Yeah, I think there is the uh, quite a groundswell for change, yeah. uh, more so than what's, I've ever seen. What's the change that doctors want to see in, in, the, in the people well, working on the front Well, I think most line? sensible doctors would think uh, what we have to offer is not ne- nearly enough for people. I think they yeah. would, uh, most of them would say... So they'll be on board with your idea? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've shared this with some psychiatrists and they, and they like it. Great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not saying they all would, no. by any means. You are proposing phasing out the inpatient facilities. Yeah, yeah. So just in a short way, I mean, is this is this? Do you think this is doable? Obviously, it's in the manifesto. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so um, uh, there are some places in the world where there are you know hardly any hospital beds, and uh, they're hardly ever used. Yeah. Where? So, so, well, one place is Trieste in Italy. Okay. uh, And. So and so case. it's doable. Mm. And um, anyone who goes on to a hospital ward, a yeah. psychiatric inpatient ward, will find it a pretty unnourishing, untherapeutic place. Yeah. So the typical thing is you get a whole lot of people in various states of distress. You put them in, under the same roof, uh, which probably isn't a good idea. No. Uh, then you have a bunch of... Then you lock them in. And so they feel a great confinement. Yeah. Uh, then some of them you'll go and put them in seclusion. You'll forcibly inject them. You'll tell them they can't go out. Uh, and that that's really tricky. And then the nurses. Now I think you know I'm not blaming the nurses. They but but they sit in the office most of the day behind the glass. Yeah. You know, reading the paper, doing the paperwork, whatever they do, uh, and they have. Uh, and they and a lot of them don't even sort of have a sense. Well, you that know, because you are you yeah. are around this. They they don't even have a sense that actually people want to be talked to. Yeah. They want they want to be listened to. Mm. Um, and so and so you have these places where when they've done surveys of people who've been in acute inpatient wards, half of them come out feeling worse than when they went in. Uh, in one survey, they said. 80% of them said they talked to a nurse for 15 minutes or less a day. Yeah. Um, uh, nearly 20% so of them were fearing for, the for their safety. Yeah. So yeah. so th- these, are, these are really bad places, I think. Yeah. And we have a lot of other alternatives that we could be doing. Now, in Wellington, yeah. uh, we're, we're doing better than many places because half our acute beds, if you want to call them that, are in houses in the community. Okay. And people go into those houses, and the, this one of them that's peer-led, 
which is led by and yep. people go into them, and they, it, it's a good experience. So how do how does can anybody access this? Service? Yeah, they have a they have a sort of um, do you have to be a triage? So so the DHB yeah. people refer them to these different places. So so okay yeah, um, and so uh, there's there's really no reason why we have to have these big hospital wards. No. And finally, you you seek to change. I mean, I just think this would seem. There needs to, I mean, there needs to be obviously a whole change the way or the way it is thought about. Um, yeah. You know this whole. I think it's just. It's obviously been ingrained into humans to have this. Um, uh, stigma gets used a lot, but to think about mental like in this crisis management way in this. <gasps> You know, oh yeah, yeah, like, and like so, yeah. So we really we need a real a change in thinking about what is the nature of the experiences that people are having, mm. um, and to get away from this idea that oh, someone's got this terrible imbalance in their brain, and we need to put them in front of a doctor, and the doctor needs to fill them up with pills, and that'll fix them. Yeah, but um, it, it would seem like, I mean, they. Change the language from patient to consumer. Yeah. Um, but it would seem like, you know, say you were a patient, like if you were like a, I don't know, cancer patient, like, you know, a ner- somebody might come in and have a nice chat with you. They might say, oh, so how are you feeling today? And, you know, I'm, su- I'm sure they're doing that in the hospitals too. But, I mean, surely if someone is really distressed or, I mean, distressed says it all. I mean... Y- like if you were distressed when you were a child and say you live in a hopefully a, a, a nice home, you know, you, your family would be like, oh, you know, you were right. But yeah, it, yeah. It, I would have thought a, a sense that society doesn't, doesn't, doesn't open its arms and react with compassion to somebody who is, you know. Yeah, and I think yeah. um, people, uh, Some do, you know, we need, to, we need to equip people much better to respond, yeah, um, and and I think people are actually getting a bit better than they were uh, twenty or thirty years ago, yeah, or fifty years ago. Certainly, yeah, yeah. 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 So I think it's getting better, but um, uh, and you know that's where peer support is so powerful because because yeah. uh, they're not afraid. Here's a here's a bunch of people who've been through similar experiences, yeah, and if they're you know if they're trained and supported and uh, you know. Uh, they have the job of supporting people. Who no, are... but it's just like if someone say you break your leg, yeah. you walk out here today, you break your leg. Someone will come up to you and be like, "Oh, are you okay?" Yeah, you, you know, "Oh no, your leg's broken." But if someone is maybe crying in the middle of the yeah, street, yeah. you know, people won't. People just sort of tend to run away a bit. Yeah, yeah. and that's and that's not not necessary because they're bad people, but it's just. It's it's just yeah. a completely different mindset. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you are seeking to change the language around mental health. Um, yeah. So, so we think the terms mental health and mental illness. Yeah. Might have had be by their use by date. Yeah. And so we're suggesting that we use terms like distress. Okay. Instead of illness, and well-being instead of um, mental health. To see the way I understood my own experiences yeah. was. Yeah. As an existential crisis, right? You just sort of, and they kept on telling me, "Oh, you've got a, you've got an imbalance in your brain chemistry." And I yeah. think that doesn't 
didn't really ever make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And so we have to have, I think, many more explanations available to people. Yeah. Uh, because uh, the the chemical imbalance one doesn't uh, intuitively make sense to a lot of people. It doesn't help people to um, to restore their well being, and it gives you it it actually makes you feel a very helpless victim of your own pathology. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Mary O'Hagan talking about her submission to the Mental Health Inquiry, which can be found at wellbeingmanifesto.nz. She is on Facebook and Twitter under Mary O'Hagan. If you would like to listen to this as a podcast, go to maryjanethompson.co.nz. Thompson spelt with, without the P and with an H.